want you to, if you will, for just a minute, think about your week this past week. And just stop and think about all the things that happened and try to think through, you know, how much of the week did you anticipate was going to happen? How many things happened this last week that you didn't know were going to happen? How many things did you enjoy? How many things did you struggle with? Just think about what this last week held in your life. And now look around the room and multiply that by a couple of hundred and realize that everybody else dealt with their week this last week as well. And then you, go, you get outside the walls right now and you start multiplying that by the thousands and understanding how many people in this world are dealing with life and everything that life may bring their way. And how many times that we deal with stuff that we, we love and we enjoy and then oftentimes there's things that we uh, face that are, are difficult or some struggles. And here's the great thing. is As we gather together to worship today, we're worshiping a God who knows each and every one of our needs. He knows the week that you've had. He knows the week that's coming. He meets you right where you are, and he walks with you through the whole thing. And in this last few weeks, we've been in this sermon series we've called Invited to Life. And what this means is that experience life differently than there's a God who loves us so much that he invites us to experience life differently than the way that sometimes we interpret life or face life in this world. In John 10, 10, Jesus speaking and he says, the thief, talking about the enemy, Satan, comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so there's an enemy that's always at work trying to make things hard on us, difficult on us, trying to destroy our lives. And Jesus says these words, but I came so that they can have life and have it more abundantly. And so when we understand that we are invited by God to live life his way, we have to know that in following Christ, there's going to be some times of difficulty, some times of struggle, some times of testing, if you will. That in doing things God's way, and it may not be working the way that we think that it is, that we're going to be put at a place where we're either going to, to go all in or, or we're going to maybe struggle or even sometimes feel like we need to give up and move on. But you need to understand that God invites you to life, and he desires for you to experience life with him the way that he intended. Now, the truth is, on this earth, we're never going to experience it in all of its perfection. But if we will do everything that we can to strive not only to know him as our Savior, but to follow him as our Lord, then what will begin to happen is we will begin to have most of the life that we can have if God did intend for it to. And those little moments will remind us of the life that we can have if we trust him and what is to come on the day that he sets all these things right again. And so this life that we've been talking about has some aspects to it. We've been looking in the book of 1 Thessalonians about some of the things that church was dealing with to give us a model for what this life can look like. A few weeks back, we, we said that we're not only invited to life, but we're invited to connect. That's part of this life. We're invited to connect with God, and we're invited to connect with one another. God created us to live in a relationship with him. Sin broke that relationship and so therefore he sent Jesus Christ to restore that relationship. But because sin has come into our life and it broke our relationship with God, it also broke our relationships that we have with other people. 
And so sometimes in this world, it's hard to get along with people or it's hard to connect with people or sometimes we struggle with that. Sometimes we're hurt by people. Sometimes we're the one hurting other people. But God still invites us to connect and he says it's worth it. If you will trust me and if you will follow me, then you can also connect with others. And God gives us a church to be able to to do that with. Um, We are a collection of broken and sinful people who come together to work lift up our praises where we can come side by side and use our giftedness and our abilities and our strengths to be able to encourage one another and do life together with one another. We talked about that we're invited to pray, that when we have a relationship with God and we're invited to his life, that he walks with us in all things. And so we don't have to go to someone else to God for us or, you know, there's no workaround that we can go directly to him. He invites us to pray And that it's a reminder that as we pray that God loves us, that he's walking with us. He cares about every detail of our life. And so we have that opportunity to pray to him as a a follower of his. We're invited to love. We talked about that. Sometimes that's difficult to do. Partly because, honestly, our culture gives us sometimes a messed up view of what love really is. And then there's sometimes in our lives, I'm sure we've all been through it, that we feel like that we're pouring out love to someone but we're not necessarily receiving that back or or that love gets mistreated or misused and it it, it makes us at times not want to give that love away but God says hey if you will live in such a way where you're receiving everything that you need in life from me then you will live your life in an abundance and an overflow that I love you so much I sent my son to die for you and if you follow me you get everything you try harder on that it has to come from a relationship to love others You can't just do better or try harder on that. It has to come from a relationship with God for us to be able to love fully. Last week we talked about the fact that in this life we're invited to hope. That, you know, hope is one of the most powerful things in our life, but we don't talk about it a whole lot. But when we lose hope in something, I mean, it's just over. If we think that a situation is hopeless or a relationship is hopeless or a person is hopeless, or even if our own favorite sports team's game is hopeless, we're done. You know, we're turning it off, we're walking away, and and that's it. But if we hold on to this hope, then there's something there that helps us have an endurance to face the difficulties of life. And the hope that we have as a follower of Jesus Christ is in the fact that he said he's coming again and he's setting all things right, that he's walking with us in this life, that no matter what we face, he can overcome it. And so we hold on to that hope as we walk through the realities of this life, the highs and the lows. And so that's life. Ultimately, I'm invited to life. God knows what life is like. He knows what life is supposed to be, and he knows what life is right now, but we are in Life's not easy, right? Not as a discouragement, but as a contextual statement. Life's not easy, right? Life is not easy. But as we follow God and we hold on to him, he makes life worth it. And looking and going, wow, you got through all the blanks and we're just a few minutes in. Can we pray and go to lunch? No. We have a few more things to talk about this morning. If you'll notice at the bottom of your, of your outline there, I just, I just had to write a little line in half. And there's some do's and there's some don't with. A lot of followers of Christ, a lot of people who aren't followers of Christ. It's like, okay, okay, but what do I do? But what does that look like? What, what do I do? That place where you say, okay, I really want to, really want to follow God. But what does that look like? What, what do I do? And sometimes people view 
what it means to be a Christian as this big list of don'ts, right? Well, I can't do this about how not to live. And I want to use this passage as the scripture tells us so much more about how to live than it does about how not to live. And I want to use this passage as an example. So I'm going to read through it, and then we're going to talk through all the things that he tells us to do and some of the things that he tells us today saying, okay, I really want to live. And uh, I want to help us with this this morning so that we can walk away from this today saying, okay, I really want to live this life that God has for me, and here's the things that I can do. Here's what Paul says to the church in Thessalonica. And to, to just set this up in context, good or because of the work that you're doing, it's because you're actually living out your faith. It's not just the fact that you believe, it's how you're living these things out. And so he's writing and he's encouraging them to keep on doing the things that you're doing. And as he comes to the end of his letter, these are the words he writes, starting in verse 12. He says, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you and regard them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the spirit, don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good and stay away from every kind of evil. Anybody, anybody ever thought that you went somewhere and you ate something that was just really good and you look at the person and you say, that was delicious, can I have the recipe? And then they go, and, you, and about halfway through, you just act like you're writing because you're like, yeah, there's no way I'm going to do all this, but I asked, so I have to continue to write these things down. That's sometimes what I feel like when we face this stuff with Paul. It's like, well, what are we supposed to do? And it's like he gets to the end of the letter, and he says, okay, I got a lot of stuff to tell you, so I just want to tell you this real quick, and he just starts hammering all these things off. And then at the end of that, he stops for a moment, and he says these beautiful words, almost as a prayer for the church in verse 23. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us also. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this letter be read to all the brothers and sisters. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So Paul wraps up this whole letter as he's loving on this church, and he sees all the things that they're facing of, okay, you're doing good, and I want you to continue to do good, but I know there's going to be some issues that you face. And so then he starts rattling off these lists of things of this is what we're supposed to have, some things that you can look at to actually, I want to help you go through this. And I want to give you some direction of some things that you can look at to actually begin to live this life that God wants you to have. And I'm just going to tell you up front, it's a lot, but... Write small or use another sheet of paper or whatever if you want to take these notes. And I want to point out the things that he tells us to do and talk a little bit about each one of them so that you can experience this life as well. The first people in your life that are teaching you, that are helping you, that are leading you, and you need to recognize I give some appreciation. Perhaps it's as simple as take some time to write somebody a thank you card, that lesson. Hey, I really appreciate it when you do these things. Hey, it was really encouraging for you to say that word to me, 
recognize what they're doing. You know, and, and understand that these people are choosing to do these things in the midst of living life just like you. I go back to what I said at the first. If you think about your week and you multiply that by hundreds, well, the people who are still leading still had weeks as well. And maybe they were difficult or maybe they were good. And so Paul says, hey, look, in the middle of all these things that are going on good in the church, don't forget to recognize those who are working hard those who are leading and laboring among you, and, and those who in the Lord admonish you. I don't know if you're familiar with that word, admonish, but it's, it's kind of a blend that together when they admonish you. They, who encourage and correct. So they, they kind of blend that together when they admonish you. They, they encourage you, but at the same time, they, they kind of keep you in line. And Paul says, man, we should give recognition to these people. As a matter of fact, he works, so that's your second. Guard them highly very highly in love because of their work. So that's your second thing is to regard them highly. What does that mean? That doesn't mean we put people who are in leadership up on a pedestal. It's in leadership positions. It doesn't with respect. So I, I can just say this. People who are in leadership positions, it doesn't matter where they're leading. You can be a mom leading at home or you can be a CEO leading at work. It doesn't matter and it's open. as you lead, you're going to have critics. And it's okay, hear me, it's okay to disagree with a leader. But how you disagree, and you're supposed to know whether you regard them highly or not. So Paul's not just saying you're supposed to be nice and get along with everybody and just, you know, ignore if they do something bad or didn't know what he's in here and they have some position, if you will, put people in our lives that have authority and they have some tenure and they have some position, if you will, and you need to regard them highly, you need to, you need to treat them with respect, and, and so the way that we regard them, go on and, and gossip to everybody that disagree with them, we don't just post it out in the world and we don't just go on and, and gossip to everybody that we, we try to treat them with the respect that we would want as well. So that's part of receiving the life that God wants for us is under next thing he says is be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. Now again, remember Paul's writing talking about don't stir up trouble in the church and don't stir up trouble in the community. Don't be a person who, who looks to just have conflict all the time. Be something that comes up in a relationship that may challenge the peacefulness of that, meaning that we seek out an opportunity at least for a conversation, if not even resolution about some things, but we're supposed to strive to be at peace, not just stir. He's talking about something that's not just in the church, but it's also in the community. <laughs> He's kind of saying this, you can't be a person of peace at church and then go out and wreak havoc in the community and expect to be respected. He said, you need to be a person who is seeking to be at peace with others all the time. So again, let me just bring us in. If we want to experience life the way that we work to be at peace among ourselves. And before I go on in this list, let me just remind us of something. As we go down this list, I promise you there will be something that challenges you that you go, I'm not so sure I've done that. That is not going to be lowered just because we can't reach it all the time. God has a standard that he wants us to strive for because it leads us to the life that he desires for us that goes beyond what we could have for ourselves. So as you go through this list and maybe read it and come across things that you go, ah, I may have made a mistake in there or I'm not sure I do that well, 
then just get before the Lord and pray, okay, I want the life that you have for me. I don't know that I do well with this, so God help me do well with this. So giving recognition, regarding highly, being at peace, he goes on to say this, warn the idle. Warn the idle, okay? So that you need to warn those who are idle. And the, and the picture of idleness here scripturally is not just someone who's sitting around doing nothing. It's someone who, what, what's that old phrase, idle hands are the, or what? What's that? I can't hear. What is it? The devil's playground. Idled hands are the devil's playground. So, so what he's actually saying is that people who are idle are, are being disruptive. And we even have a picture in Scripture where there's other things where they're trying to deal with help, helping take care of the widows in the church. And, and he makes a distinction in the, with the widows that, okay, there's some of the widows who are older and they can't take care of themselves, and we need to take more care of them. But he says, there's some of the younger widows, they just need to get remarried, because if they just sit around idle all the time, they just run around house to house and gossip. That's the picture of idleness that Paul is saying, warn the idle. Meaning, warn the people who are just have nothing better to do with their time than to watch Fox News and text you every time the world's going to end, and you know, those type of things like that. Warn the people who are just sitting around with doom and gloom and negativity and, oh, did you see that the pastor wore jeans today? Don't warn those people, okay? Warn them. It'll be, I'll, I'll get connection cards today on that one. I just want you to know. So warn those people. He's saying warn the people who have nothing better to do with their time other than to find critics about everything. Just, just warn them not to be idle because if not, you're going to disrupt the church. The goal what Paul was saying here, the goal is to protect the unity of the believers. And so if we want to live that life, that's what we do. And then he goes on with some things that I think are pretty self-explanatory. The next one he says is comfort the discouraged. Comfort the discouraged. Guys, there's nothing better that you can do in life as a believer in Jesus Christ than to be there for someone who's in need. It's, it's one of the most loving things that we can do. And need doesn't just mean these big times in life when we've lost someone or we've gone through this huge difficulty. You know what, just let's, just, let's be honest. Sometimes we get up and we have a bad day because it's Tuesday. And sometimes we just need to be there for someone because, well, why is today bad? It's Tuesday, okay. And we just need to comfort the discouraged because living this life sometimes is hard. And we need to allow people to have good days and bad days. And I am so thankful to have people in my life that know he's having a bad day, just get away. <laughs> Hopefully it won't last till tomorrow, you know, and just let it go and do that and comfort the discouraged. Walk through this life with them. Be present for those in need. Speak encouragement. Offer hope. Don't let them give up. And Paul is saying this is the responsibility of the entire church body. So here's a simple thing that you can do. If you are running through your week in your normal routine and for some unknown reason to you, God puts some thought in your mind about someone or something, you know what's a great habit to do? Just stop. Give them a call, send them a text and go, hey, I just want you to know I'm thinking about you, praying for you, appreciate you in my life and, and just move on. You have no idea what that word of encouragement may be. You have no idea what that may do in someone's life. If you see someone's having a bad day, don't try to fix it. Just hug them. You know, you can greet them with a holy kiss if you want to freak them out a little bit. And just love on them. And this time, and, and let them go because, let's just be honest, sometimes life's discouraging. Sometimes life's discouraging. And we just need to comfort people through that. 
you want to live life to the fullest, be a comforter. He says, help the weak. Help the weak. Now, meaning this, that if you have a talent, a skill, an ability, a position of influence, or as long as you are, or as a use to help leverage someone who's not necessarily as far along as you are, or as able as you are, do that. He's not only saying there are people who aren't physically able to do things that you need. Sometimes he's saying, hey, I know you had to work real hard to get to your position, but why don't you leverage your position to help somebody else not have to go through everything that you had to go through to get here? Because if they can get here faster than you got here, maybe they can take it further than you're going to be able to do it. And the only way that they're going to do that is if you help the weak. Consider others better than yourselves and say, hey, look, this person's great at this. Let's give them a shot. Let's do these things. Let's encourage them. And it doesn't matter that they haven't paid their dues or done their thing. Let's just, let's just do this. Let's help the weak who are along the way. Those of a lesser status or ability, anything that you can do to use your influence, time, or ability to help them. That's the life that God wants you to live. The next one, be patient with everyone. I'm like, my word, did you have to put that in the middle? Be patient, not just be patient, be patient with everyone. There's, there's your standard that we know we can't reach, but yet we strive to that because here's the truth that we need to understand, that I, I sometimes forget that there are people that are new to some of the things that are old habits to me. And I had to go through a lot of things before I could learn what it was like to do these things. And sometimes, usually, I'll just be honest, I think a lot of times we get impatient out of love because we want something so good for somebody, but we kind of rush it. And because we rush it, they don't experience the things that we experience, and, and then it doesn't have this genuine factor to it. I mean, I love to cook. And one of the things I love to do, I like, I like you know, I'm, I'm a good Texan. I like to smoke and barbecue things. And there's a definite difference between a brisket that's had the ability to sit there for like 12 hours and the smoke and low and slow and basting that thing. If you just throw it on a grill and grill it in an hour, it might be done, but you ain't going to eat it. You know what I mean? And so sometimes things just need some time. And we need to remember that with people. That you may have walked this road a long time. You may be on the other side of a situation that somebody else is facing. And what Paul's saying, be patient with them. God saw you through it. He's going to see them through it. Just be patient and let them come along. And then he goes to this idea of pursue the good of all. Pursue the good of all. Meaning as you make decisions, do the best that you can to step away from it and not just ask the question of what works for me, but ask the question of would this be good for everybody? If you want to experience life at its fullest and you start asking those type of questions, that's just an awesome thing. Because the example that we have of what this life looks like is that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and so a true friend is going to lay down their life for others. And really, we kind of stop there at times, but the truth of it is, is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so what we're called to do is even lay down our lives and be patient with those who don't necessarily think, act, look, and talk like we do or even agree with us, or they may not even like us. But yet, if you want to experience life at its fullest, you can do this. I say this phrase oftentimes, 
that as we, as we look to pursue Christ and we want to live for him, oftentimes God's word will call us to do things that are not only countercultural, but they're counterintuitive. They go against everything that we think and feel and believe. But when we put ourselves in that place based on God's prompting and leading, we begin to see God's miracles happen in our lives. He goes on with some things here that might be the most familiar of this passage if you happen to be familiar with the book of 1 Thessalonians. He says, rejoice always. Okay, rejoice always. Yeah, even then. So what he's saying is find joy in your circumstances. How do I do that? Well, here's the, here's the only way that this works. Is when I am fully trusting in God for everything in my life, and I am being filled by his spirit and filled with everything that he wants me to have, only then can I be joyful in every circumstance. Because if I'm not being filled by God, then that means I'm empty and I'm looking for something from somewhere else. And the moment things don't work out the way that I want, ah, ugh, life's tough or it's difficult or it's hurting, and I can't rejoice in that. But I can always find an opportunity to rejoice when I trust that God is leading my life. He goes on to say, pray continually. And I just love to think about it like this way. Take it all to God. And it reminds you that he's with you no matter what it is that you're facing. Pray continually. Talk to him all the time. Always have in your mind that God is with me, walking through this with me. Always present, always there, always leading, always comforting, always correcting. Just take it to the Lord. He goes on to say, give thanks in everything. Give thanks in everything. It, it tr- what is there to be thankful about when to be able to stop at some times in their life and think, okay, what is there to be thankful about in this situation? And Can I just tell you something? He's not talking about some, you know, just smile and fake it type thing. He's talking about, no, truly, there's nothing that you're going to face in this life that as long as you remember that God is with you and leading you and filling you up, that you can't pause and be thankful about something in there. And it will help bring you perspective and help you experience life to the full that he wants you to experience. He goes on to say, test everything, hold on to the good. Test it all, and as you test it, understand there's going to be some things you need to let go of, but hold on to the good. The things that you find that are good, because sometimes you might need to hold on to something that's good to remind you that these things are good as you face some certain difficulties. So hold on to the good things and just trust in the Lord. Find the positive and go with what you know with that. The things that God's teaching you, start where you are. And then pretty simply, and this is really true all over Scripture, it's the same advice that we get all the time when we're facing evil in our life. Stay away from it. Stay away from evil. Don't go there. Don't put yourself in a situation where it's easy for you to fail. Don't put yourself around people who are going to drag you down. Don't think that, well, I used to be that way, but, you know, I'm smarter now and I'm older now and I don't need those things. Don't hang out in a place with people who will alienate you from the people that love you, who will put you in a position of compromise all the time. Because the truth is God knows us and he knows our hearts and here's the truth. You'll fail. And so will I. If you hang around evil long enough, it'll drag you down. And if you're not aware of the things that are good and the things that are evil, if you're not able to step back and go, you know, honestly, this is not putting me in a good place. It's 
It's alienating me from my family. It's alienating me from my friends. It's putting me in positions of compromise or asking me to do things I don't really want to do. But I'm strong enough. I can, I can say no, or I don't have to do that, or I'm not going to touch that, or I'm not going to say that, or I'm not, mm-mm. Scriptural advice every time it comes to evil is stay away from it. Run away from it. Go away from it. Aren't y'all happy I finished the list of do's? Now let's start with the don'ts. I have good news. There's only three of them, okay? So you're like, I'm going to be able to eat lunch. All right. There's three don'ts, but they're very important. And, and I do want to point this out. I love the fact that so many people look at their faith and they go, you know, it just feels like Christianity sometimes is so, is, is so confining. And I, there's all these things that I don't know, you know, what I'm supposed to do or how I'm supposed to do it. And Paul goes on and on and on and on about, here, do all these things and you'll find life. And then he just gives some real quick warnings about things not to do. The first thing he says is don't repay evil with evil. Meaning this, just, just be the person that stops it. You don't have to have the last word. You don't have to have the final say. You don't have to have the, the sarcastic remark that makes everybody go, ooh, you got burned. You, know, you don't need to be that person. Just stop it. Don't repay evil for evil. Le- learn to let it go. And put your trust in God. Hey, that person hurt me, that harmed me. Our reaction and our response is naturally that we want to hurt and harm them back. But what God says is don't let it go. And let him fill that up. And let's just be honest. Every one of us has some people in life that we would love to repay. Every one of us does. And God says, living with that bitterness, or, you know, if you get up every day dreaming how that person could get it, that's just not healthy. It's going to eat your heart away. It's not going to help you. And honestly, say something happens to them or whatever, and then how are you really going to feel? It's not, just let it go. Don't repay evil for evil. Just be a bigger person and move on and let God fill that gap. Don't continue the behavior. Break it. Next thing he says is don't stifle the spirit. What does that mean? Don't stifle the spirit. Well, as God begins to work in the hearts and the lives of people, he maybe begin working in their lives in a way that's different than yours. And then you may see some things in people that you don't understand or, or you may have maybe walked a road that you got disappointed and discouraged and you see people, you know, gearing up to go, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. And you come alongside and go, I tried that. It's not going to work. That's stifling the spirit, you know. I did student ministry for 17 years. The, the classic church example of stifling the spirit is you have all the kids go off to camp and they get all excited at camp and they come back home and the, the you know, I'm trying to choose my words here correctly so I don't get a letter on that one too. Uh, the, the mean old guy who always is negative about everything in the church, ah, just give him a week. You know, that's stifling the spirit. All those kids just causing trouble. I couldn't be more excited about our students right now, just to let you all know. We got some great leaders and some great things that are happening and excited uh, for what's going on with them. And here's what I love about it. They're not going to do it the way that you did it. It's going to bug you, and I'm going to have letters and phone calls, and I'm going to go, this is awesome, because God's doing something new. Don't stifle the spirit. You know, if we love and respect one another, and it's not just in that way. When you see God working in someone's life, don't put the flame out. What does he say? Test it. Hold on to the good. Test it. Hold on to the good. Don't stifle the spirit. Don't be cynical. See the best. Hope for the best. Pray for the best. Encourage for the best. Flame the fire of the Holy Spirit. Don't be cynical about it. And then the last thing that he says, don't despise prophecy. Don't despise prophecy. 
And we have to have a little teaching moment here about what prophecy is in the context of Scripture. A lot of times things prophecy is, is, you know, these are people who speak about the future. But in, in Scripture, when you look at the role of the prophet, the role of the prophet was really this. It's the truth teller. God would raise up someone and call them to go before the people to tell them the truth. And sometimes that truth told them some things about the future, but all the time it told them about the character and the person of God, and all the time it told them about the way that they're supposed to behave and the changes that are in their heart. Paul actually writes about this in 1 Corinthians. He says, on the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in another tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Meaning that, meaning that God has raised up people, and sometimes in his spirit, he gives somebody a word or a moment or some encouragement to stand up and say a word of truth. And what was happening grew up under Peter's teaching, and some people grew up under time, just to give you a perspective. Well, well, some people grew up under Peter's teaching, and some people grew up under Paul's teaching, and some people grew up under Apollos' teaching, and there were these new teachers that were coming on in the church, and so you had people going, well, I don't like the way they do that, or they think, right? I follow it this way, or I, I believe it like this. And what Paul is saying is, look, don't get caught up in that. Don't despise the truth of God's word just maybe because it came from a source that you don't know. But test it and don't despise it. Don't ignore it because God may be wanting to teach us something new or to lead us in a certain way or to help us along the way. And he may have raised up someone to tell us some truth about that. So don't ignore those things. So those are the only three that he says, and those are pretty direct in the church, aren't they? Don't repay evil, don't stifle the spirit, don't despise prophecy. But this list of things to do, here's what I would encourage you with as I wrap this up. Take it home and look at it. And if you didn't write it down, that's fine. It's right there in, in uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And just simply write it down and go, what of these things do I do? And what of these do I need to start doing? Because I promise you, if you will begin to do these things that God's called you to do, you will begin to experience life the way that God wants us to experience life. And you'll be able to navigate the difficulties of this life in a way that could only have done his part. Well, do you do yours? So you're invited to life. And so God's done his part. Well, do you do yours?